Good morning to you. Can you believe that <clears throat> it's the end of June? For some of us, we think that summer has just started, but wow, we're in the, the last Sunday of June already, and time is moving. We invite all of you who can uh, to come back tonight at 6 o'clock for a congregational meeting, and what that means is anybody can come. Uh, so if you're saying, oh, I don't, I don't know if I'm included in that, you are. Uh, we'd, we'd love anybody and everybody who can make it tonight at 6 o'clock. It's actually going to be over in the fellowship hall. Um, so that's where we will be tonight. If you, like me, are looking forward to watching England play Italy at 2.30, one of the nice things about soccer is that it's pretty predictable in terms of how long a game will last. So that even if it goes into overtime, into penalty kicks, it'll be done before 6 o'clock, which is... For me and some of you, really good news, um, but we'd love to see as many of you <clears throat> as possible tonight. I invite you to grab a Bible to open it to 2 Kings chapter 13, and if you're using one of the Bibles that's been provided for you, you'll find it on page 320. 2 Kings chapter 13. <clears throat> With the end of... June, we are also concluding our series in Elisha. This is going to be the last message. This is the last record of an event that we have in the story of Elisha. Our series has been entitled The Power of the Spirit because Elisha was a prophet who, when his predecessor went on to be with the Lord, what he asked for was a double portion of his spirit, that he wanted God's spirit to be on him that he wanted his life to be marked by something more than just himself. He wasn't asking for a dynamic personality. He wasn't asking for a lot of friends. He wasn't asking for a lot of influence. What he asked for was God's spirit, that when people would look at his life, they would see God in his life. And that's something that should be true and a desire for all of us as Christians, that when people would see us, that they would see more than us that they would see our Lord living through us, that they would see his compassion, his grace, and our desires that that would be true together as an entire congregation, that people would say, you know, the spirit is in that place. The spirit moves. You can feel the love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, what the Bible describes as the fruits of the spirit living out in our lives. But because this is the final message, we've entitled this The Last Word. It's the last story we get of this prophet. And we're going to begin in verse 14 of chapter 13. So verse 14 to 21. Now when Elisha had fallen sick with the illness of which he was to die, Joash, king of Israel, went down to him and wept before him, crying, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And Elisha said to him, take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrows. And then he said to the king of Israel, draw the bow. And he drew it. And Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands. And he said, open the window eastward. And he opened it. And then Elisha said, shoot. And he shot. And he said, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria. For you shall fight the Syrians in Aphek until you have made an end of them. And he said, take the arrows. And he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground with them. 
And he struck the ground three times and stopped. And then the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck down Syria until you had made an end of it. But now you shall strike down Syria only three times. So Elisha died and they buried him. Now, bands of Moabites used to invade the land in the spring of the year. And as a man was being buried, behold, a marauding band was seen, and the man was thrown into the grave of Elisha. And as soon as the man touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. This concludes our reading. I'll encourage you to to keep your Bible open, though, because part of what we're going to do here in the beginning is just sort of follow the headlines. And so if you turn back a little bit, um, let's say starting in chapter 7, and if your Bible provides for you uh, headlines to different sections, and especially if you're using one of the Bibles that's been provided for you, you'll see that chapter 7 has a headline over it that has Elisha's name in it. Now, the headlines aren't a part of the text, and so they vary from uh, Bible to Bible. They're not inspired, but it just helps us as readers. And so you see his name there, and then you see that the next section is about the Syrians who flee, and uh, as Mark preached last week about the story of the lepers, and then you turn and you just look at every section in chapter 8 and then chapter 9 that's bolded and blocked off for you, you'll notice, just actually like last week's story, that you don't see Elisha's name anymore. And then you get to 10 and you don't see his name, and you get to chapter 11 and you don't see his name, and chapter 12... And 13, and the next time he appears in a headline is in the passage that we just read. So when we're following the headlines, the first thing that we notice is that for this period of time, from chapter 7 to chapter 13, Elisha is off of the headlines. We don't hear a lot about him. And when you just try to write down the the events that are taking place and the years that are transpiring, we find out that it's just over 40 years of time that pass between chapter 7 and chapter 13. So here's Elisha, a prophet, who we've been now spending months looking into his life and hearing about dramatic stories of what God has done through him. And now we see that there is a decades-long reality of him being off of the headlines. He was still a prophet, and so we assume he was still ministering as a prophet, But he wasn't getting the press that he used to get. People always wanted to interview him, you know, after these moments. And and we have these stories because somebody heard about them and somebody told somebody about them. And so then we're a bit shocked to find, well, then there were 40 years where nothing happened that we have record of, that we know of. And so his life went from being lived out in the public where people would get press releases about what Elisha was doing to this experience of being secluded from the press and no longer in the headlines. He didn't lose any of his power. He didn't lose any of his prophet's ability. His school of prophets didn't disappear. Nothing changed about Elisha and his faithfulness to God. But over a period of time, people just stopped paying attention to him. Do you know that that's true of you and me? That we can get bored with almost anything? We see one thing that amazes us and we're like, wow, you got to see this, you got to see this. 
and then it happens again and we're a little less excited about it and then it happens again and we're a little bit less excited about it. You and I have this profound ability to become bored with things that are completely amazing. Just if we were to happen to see them again. Just like the sun came up today. And we're like, well, whoop-de-doo. The sun came up today. The sun will go down tonight. Isn't that supposed to happen? Well, does it happen because it's just supposed to happen? Or is it, in fact, an amazing thing that it happens? Is it an amazing thing that this world still exists? But it does still exist, and today was just another day like any other, and so things that maybe, depending on where we were in our lives and and what we were struggling with, stood out to us, and they meant a lot to us, and we wanted to know about them, they're still going on, but we just care less about them. It It doesn't move us like it used to move us, and that's true for Elisha. For over 40 years, he was ministering, even though, from what we can gather, not too many people cared. He was off of the headlines. But another amazing reality is, as we follow the headlines, is that in that 40 years, he also stayed out of the tabloids. He was off of the headlines. Not everybody loved him and cared about him. But he also stayed out of the tabloids. We have no record of him doing something that undermined his ministry. Somebody that made, something that made him lose his reputation with the people that he had been serving. Now, depending on your own life experience and your own age, that will mean more or less to you. But that is an amazing thing. That for 40 years, to continue to minister, to continue to serve... And there also be no record of him undermining his ministry is amazing. Because it takes years and it takes multiple experiences with somebody to develop trust with them, to build up a reputation. I mean, just ask yourself, how long does it take you to feel that you can trust another human being as a a friend? And a friend that you could share something really deep and really personal with. But for, for most of us, that, that does not happen on the spot. It takes time to develop that. It takes time to build up that kind of trust. How, how fast does it take to lose that? Just one experience. One bad experience with somebody. And years of trust, years of positive experience can be completely lost. One bad experience. And that's true of all of us. We can live our lives for years, for decades, and have built up a certain reputation, a certain testimony, and only one mistake, 15 seconds of a mistake, can completely change our reputation and our ministries to other people. And they no longer trust us. And they no longer believe what we say. And here, in all that happened in 40 years, our prophet Elisha has also stayed out of the tabloids. Whatever he did, he did not undermine his ministry. Whatever he did, he stayed strong and he stayed faithful in the Lord. And so, when do we hear about him again? He's in the obituary section. That's when we hear about him again. 
not in the headlines, not in the tabloids, but here he is in the obituary. In verse 14, we find out Elisha had fallen sick with the illness of which he was going to die. And then verse 20, and so Elisha died. But the writer is just telling us from the beginning that this is the end. He is sick with the sickness that's going to take him out. The one who was a healer for other people is sick. And he's not going to be healed. Just just get that from the beginning. Because if we would have heard, well, Elisha was sick, and our sentence didn't finish as it does, we'd think, well, it's Elisha. I mean, there's this story and this story and this story of other people who were sick and healed, but so the author just straight up, listen, he is sick with the sickness from which he is going to die. There is not going to be, whatever we're going to read, we're not going to read a miracle story of his healing. That's not how it's going to finish. His own time has come, and so we are reading about the very, very last moments of his life. But as we see this story unfold, here's what we learn about the power of the Spirit, that the Spirit empowers us to be faithful in public and in private, in the beginning and at the end, in living and in dying. The Spirit empowers us to be faithful from beginning to end, in living and in dying, in public and in private. Some of us are happy to have the Spirit move in us when we're in public. We're happy to have the Spirit move in us when we're at the beginning of something because we get excited about new things. Or we're, we're excited and thinking about the power of the Spirit as it relates to the opportunities that are in front of us in our lives. But what we see from Elisha's life is that the Spirit also empowers us to be faithful when no one else is looking. When whatever we did really wouldn't matter because nobody else would find out. And our motivation then is not what people will hear or what people will see, but whether or not we just truly love the God that we proclaim. And the Spirit leads us in finishing well. The Spirit empowers us to end things at times and to end them well. And he empowers us to die well. And this is part of the uniqueness of what the Spirit can do for each and every one of us. To not only uh, come alongside of us and to to enable us in, in our mountaintop experiences, but also in our valleys. To guide us and to lead us when actually we discover that we need him the most. And this is what we see from Elisha. This is the kind of power that the Spirit gives. It's not a power that helps us to avoid the end, helps us to avoid death, helps us to avoid just sort of being almost like Elisha, irrelevant for 40 years. That's not the power, but the power is to be faithful to God in a relationship committed to him, secure in that love and that affection no matter what, however God would choose to use the way our ministry and our lives are unfolding. The Spirit has power for whatever life brings, whatever stage we find ourselves in. 
And so this is one of the first lessons that we learn. We know that we're at the end, but there's still a story that unfolds. And so we want to see what this last word is. We're going to break it up in two ways. The last word on faithfulness and then the last word on fruitfulness. The last word on faithfulness. We have Elisha and the king and then Elisha and the corpse. And so Elisha and the king. Even though he's been out of the headlines, the king got news that he was sick. The king heard about it in some way. And the king, who'd been the beneficiary of Elisha's ministry for so long, cares and he comes. And in verse 14, when he comes, it says that even, even before we find out what he says, just seeing the prophet in the condition that he was in, it says that he's weeping. But he realizes it too, that this is a point of no return. But then he highlights and he says to him, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen which is a way of reminding Elisha about the power that he had seen in his life. I mean, his ministry started, and he knew that he had Elijah's spirit because he saw Israel's chariots that took his predecessor away. And then in his own experience, when an army came against him and his servant was getting really nervous because they were trapped in the city, and, and, and he prayed, Lord, help my servant, to see. And then all of a sudden, the armies of the Lord became visible and they realized that they were more secure than they could ever dream or imagine. So his life had these dramatic experiences and this phrase, it's it's an expression of affection, but it's also a reminder of the answered prayer that had happened throughout his life. But almost remembering that is in, in some way what makes what's transpiring even sadder because the realization has come that this is not going to happen again. There's not going to be a dramatic rescue for Elisha in this moment like there had been in previous moments. And so in this interaction between Elisha and the king, we learn things about limits and lessons and then a lesson about limits. But limits and lessons, he's limited. His, his ministry has a beginning point and an ending point. And even though he's been faithful, it still has a beginning point and an ending point. It's just not going to go on forever. There is a limit to Elisha's ministry. There is a limit to his role as a prophet. And so his time has come to an end. But in his final task with the king, what he wants to show the king is that the king is not limited in the exact same way that he is. He doesn't want the king to interpret too negatively what it means that his own ministry is coming to an end. So he asks the king to grab a bow and to grab an arrow and then open up the window and shoot it out eastward. And the king does it and he says, see that, when I'm gone and you go into battle, you're still going to win. When I'm gone and you go into battle, you're still going to win. He had him pointed in the direction of Syria and he could say to him that you're going to defeat the Syrians. Then he gives him another assignment. He says, take the bow, take the arrow, shoot it to the ground. He doesn't tell him how often to shoot it to the ground. He just gives him the assignment, okay? And what we read now is that he takes it and literally he just shoots an arrow into the ground, okay? There's not an immediate 
lesson that Elisha says. Okay, so I grab another one, shoot it, grab another one. Okay, I don't understand what this means. And this is, I'm like wasting arrows. I'm just, I'm not killing an animal and what? And so it says he stops, which initially we, we don't expect almost what's said next to be said because if you and I were there, we go, yeah, well, how long am I just supposed to shoot an arrow into the ground? I don't see what I'm doing. But Elisha says to me, I gave you an open assignment. I told you to do it. And if you had more arrows, you should have kept shooting. Just because you couldn't see exactly what was the purpose doesn't mean you should have stopped. I gave you an assignment. You should have just kept going. See, Elisha learned this, that he needed to keep going, even though people weren't reporting on him and he was out of the press. None of that gave him the freedom to say, okay, I'm done shooting arrows. I'm done ministering. Because if if God really wanted me to minister, he'd give me a much larger platform, he'd do all this and do all that. He said, no. Even if I can't see exactly what God is doing with it, I know what God has called me to do. I know what God has asked of me. I don't know what it's going to mean. I don't know how many people are going to be affected by it, but that's not actually for me to be worried about. I need to focus in and be worried about on whether or not I'm just doing what I've been asked to do. What is my assignment? Am I completing that assignment? And so he stops, and so then Elisha has this lesson for him to say, you're going to be limited now, but not because I'm passing on. Not because I'm going to die, but because of your unwillingness to keep on doing the assignment that you were given. And the king needs to know that. His limitations of what the spirit can now do in the king's life is not affected by whether Elisha is around or not, but to the extent to which he is open to the spirit working in his own life. And inasmuch as he is obedient to his assignment, That's as limited as he's going to be. And if he is open and willing to continue to do what is asked of him to do, then he will continue to experience the presence and the victory that God intends for him to have. So Elijah's learning that he's limited, his ministry is coming to an end, but he wants the king to know that doesn't mean bad news for him. The only thing that the king has to worry about in his own limitations is his own availability and willingness to continue to do the assignment that he has been given. And that's the lesson that the king needs to learn about limits. That he is not limited by the death of the prophet. He has an assignment to do and he needs to keep on doing it whatever the outcome that is most apparent to him. And so we see here that the Spirit's unlimited presence assures us that God's help is always available. The Spirit's unlimited presence is what assures us that God's help is always available. The Spirit's presence was not limited to Elisha. And so in Elisha's passing, the king still had opportunities. He could still have success. And that's why when Jesus was here and he said to his disciples, it's actually better for you that I go because if I go, then I'll send the Spirit and, and the Spirit will be with you wherever you are. Why? Because the Spirit never took on then a bodily form that constricted him to a specific time and a specific place. 
but God through his spirit is with each and every one of us all the time, and we, we can know that. We can be assured of God's presence with us. Why? Because the spirit is present in an unlimited way. And yes, the spirit was with people that ministered before us. But now the Spirit is with us as we minister, and the Spirit will be with those who live after us and minister after us. The Spirit is not limited, not limited in geography, and so wherever we go from here this morning, the Spirit goes with each and every one of us. But the Spirit's also not limited by time. He's not limited by your past or mine. He's not limited by what we worry about in the future. The Spirit's unlimited presence is what should give each and every one of us this confidence that God's help is always available. That's the promise of the Spirit. Not that we will avoid death, not that we will avoid pain, or even avoid temptation. But that whatever comes, if it's death, if it's temptation, that with that will also be the presence of God. So that we can live through that in a way that honors him and shines the light of the gospel. That's the promise, that whatever we experience, whether it's in the form of temptation or success, new beginnings or sad endings, that the Spirit is in no way limited, and therefore we can know that help is always available. And just in case those lessons about limits were missed, we have this story not only of Elisha and the king, but then Elisha and the corpse. Isn't it an amazing last two verses? Elisha died and they buried him. That's verse 20. And so now the band of Moabites, they used to invade the land in the spring. So don't imagine necessarily this, this large army coming into battle. But what you have is a group of people that are looking to take advantage of some opportunity and they are coming um, just trying to basically get a raid uh, of some goods and then, and then run back on. So they're described more as a, a band than some you know, big intimidating army. So this is guerrilla warfare um, a long time ago. This band is coming and somebody else has died in Israel. And... Whoever it is, we don't know, but somebody else has died, and they're just looking to have a decent burial. They're just looking for the privacy of their their own time together as family and friends to remember the one who's passed on. But they get news that a band is coming. And so, hey, we got to leave. This is not a good situation. You do not want to be here in just a little bit. So, Yes, you're grieving. Yes, this is a a, a horrible situation, but you really got to get to safety because something bad is about to happen. This band is coming again. And so in the rush of that news, what it says is that they take this person that they knew and that they bury him quickly. And it describes that they just... um, that they put him, it says they actually threw him in the grave. It gives you this sense of just hurry up, get him in there, and get on. And then when this person's body touches the bones of Elisha, he revived and, and stood. He resurrected. This, this friend that they thought they were burying, that they thought was dead, was not. He was alive again. And now we don't even get... It, if they saw this or not immediately, but somebody saw it because we know about it. 
And so in this very last way, this last word on fruitfulness that we would get from Elisha's life is that what the Spirit ultimately empowers is that the Spirit brings life to that which is dead. That is what the Spirit does. The power of the Spirit brings life to that which is dead. And that's what we believe is the good news of the gospel. That not only is the Spirit not limited in geography and not limited in time, but He's not limited in circumstances. He's not limited by death. And so that if we think about people that are not with us this morning and people that we love that we've been seeking to reach out to and in every way that we can measure or gauge have no desire to know the Lord. If we were to describe them spiritually, we would say they're dead. There's nothing in them that wants to know God, that wants to serve God. The good news is that the Spirit is not limited by that. And in fact, the Spirit is here and among us to bring life to what is dead. That's the, that's the main purpose of God sending his Spirit and Jesus explaining to Nicodemus that when the Spirit would come, you would see people born again. You would see new life created because that's what the Spirit does. Just like the Spirit hovered over and was a part of creation in the beginning, it is the Spirit that recreates life in what to us seems to be dead. And that's actually our own story. That if we have faith, if we have all the vital signs of life, and a a living relationship with God that we can say we've been brought to life because of what the Spirit has done. We experience this new life because the Spirit has given it to us. And so to conclude, I'll ask you to turn to Acts chapter 1 where we get this description of the purpose of the Spirit in our day and in our age Acts chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. This is Jesus now with his disciples, preparing them for the fact that he is going to leave and he is going to send his spirit to be with them. And he wants them to know not only that the spirit is coming, but why the spirit is coming and how it is that the spirit is to empower them. And so in verse 6, so when they had come together, they asked him, Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of of the earth, and that's where we'll stop. So he's telling them, they have a question. They have in their mind an idea why the Spirit might come and what the Spirit might do to restore the kingdom to Israel. But he says, no, 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 don't, don't worry about that. But here is what I'm going to send the Spirit to do. You're going to receive power and power to do something specifically, to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in all Samaria. And so this is our point on the bulletin, that we can know the Spirit's power most when we commit ourselves to the Spirit's purpose.
We can know the Spirit's power most when we commit ourselves to the Spirit's purpose. And if we feel like we're not experiencing the Spirit's power, we wouldn't describe ourselves as being in this dynamic relationship with our Heavenly Father. We have to ask ourselves if we're aligned with the purpose for which the Spirit is here. Think about it this way. You can effectively use an iPad as a cutting board. But that's not its purpose. You can use it that way. I saw a video of somebody using it that way. It was just a funny little commercial. And it will do that. But you'll sit here and wonder why everybody's spending X amount of money for it. You see, to, to use it and to experience it, you have to have some sense of what it's for. W- what does it enable you to do? And when you use it for what it enables you to do, you're so, I can't believe I can do all of these things with this thing. I mean, look at what I can do. Because you know what it's for. And, and therefore, you're amazed by what it can do. And so when we think that the Spirit is here just to make us feel good about ourselves, just to help us get into what is the most comfortable situation we could possibly get in, and then we wonder why we aren't excited about what God is doing, and we aren't, we couldn't say that we're really feeling his presence in our lives. The challenge of the scriptures to us is, well, you're not engaged in the purpose for which God sent his spirit into your life. But he sent his spirit so that you would experience what it's like to be changed and renewed and to be able to live into a relationship with him that is consistent in public and in private. That you can start well in him and you can finish well in him. That you can live for him and that you can die for him. And that you can actually be a part of the plan by which other people who are now dead can live again. That's how we experience the power of the Spirit in our lives when we engage the purpose that we become witnesses of his own power through our own changes and our own growth and through our confidence that he is still at work that he is not limited by us and he's not limited by death. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that we have been challenged by and have learned as we've looked at this, your servant's life. And we confess that the applications are many And, and so we actually, we need you to filter it for us. Help us to narrow down and to focus on a very specific way that we can apply your truth. If it is starting to pray again for somebody that we've stopped praying for because we haven't seen a response, Father, renew our prayers for them if it's become clear that you're not healing us of something and we're resisting being faithful in the end of our days, Father, help us to realize that we can praise you and honor you not only in our living but also in our suffering. 
Father, help us to believe that you are not limited. Help us to repent of all the ways that we are busy but not really engaged in your purpose. And Father, use your spirit to to call our lives into your purpose. We long to see those who are spiritually dead come to life and to become their own witnesses for you. Father, use our lives to that end, not for our sake or for our glory, but all for yours. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.